Wow. Okay, so we are finishing off our series. Not that it's really possible to finish off the subject, but we're finishing off our series this week of, G- of God's self-portrait. Okay? So we've been in Exodus 34, and we've been working through the eight declarations that God makes of himself in front of Moses. And God says, I will show you my goodness And then he goes and describes himself. And he proclaims the following. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding, abounding in goodness and truth. And he goes on. He says he keeps mercy for thousands and he forgives iniquity, he forgives wrongdoing, the inability to reach his perfect nature by what he's created. And he forgives that. He forgives it when people transgress his law, something we call sin, when we basically offend God through our actions and he's no longer able to be with us. He forgives. But then he goes on to say the following. But he by no means clears the guilty and he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon their children and the children's children, even to the third and the fourth generation. I've got the good verses. <laughs> we can't step aside and look only at small attributes of the nature of God and not focus in also on the key principle of he is a God of justice. Wrongdoing needs to be resolved, and it's got to be resolved somehow. It's not a, there, there, it's okay, never mind, we'll just ignore it. It has to be dealt with. Why? Because sin, offence towards God, is utterly serious. It's one of the most serious things that exists for humanity. And we have to wrestle with this. It is the thing that stands in the way of us approaching God and being alive. The Bible puts it in two ways. If you're in sin, you are dead spiritually. Because life and eternal life is to know God. You can't know God and be in sin. So spiritually, you're dead. But if you want to be alive, you've got to know God because that's eternal life. That's knowing him and who he is. So yeah, we live and we breathe and we do our thing, right? And we think, well, hey, it's not that bad. I'm not that bad. Things aren't that critical, are they? But that's only because we have a very small view 
of what God is like. We haven't grasped his purity, his majesty, his holiness, and we don't often understand where we are in relationship to him. We bring him down to our level and we try and understand concepts of God on the same level playing field as that with ourselves. One of the challenges with these verses is that we can't understand how it can be fair to pass on the iniquities of the fathers to the children. But God says you don't just pass on an inheritance in the flesh, you also pass on an inheritance in the spirit to the next generation. And when you bring them up, as he says later in Numbers and also in Deuteronomy, when you bring them up to hate me, there will be a natural outworking in their lives that leads to death. Now, how he describes himself, I, I, I show all my goodness, my mercy and my forgiveness to thousands. It goes on and on and on and it multiplies out. But as he says, if you hate me, then you are going to have an inheritance passed on to your children of that hatred that's going to devastate their lives as well. If we read in Deuteronomy chapter 29, some of the blessings, sorry, 32, some of the blessings and curses of the relationship between God and Israel, we get an idea of what's going on when people step away from him. We get this idea that God turns his face away. That is an indication of he is no longer present. And when God is no longer present in the earth, somebody else gets to rule and reign. God made this covenant promise with Israel that I will be in your midst. I will be present with you. And there's a myriad. There's just pouring out blessing on them as a people. Material blessing for them. Livestock and land and, and milk and honey and brilliant things and peace in their nation and across the nations. But he says, if you go after idols, you remove me from your heart and you go after the things that Asherah poles, wooden poles sticking out the ground as representations of gods. You go after that sort of stuff and the abomination of what they do then I'm going to turn my face away from you. I'm going to remove my presence. And what happens when God removes his presence is that his goodness is now absent from the land. And someone else rules. If we jump across into Luke chapter 4, we have the temptation of Jesus. And while Satan is tempting Jesus, he says this to him. The devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I'll give to you and all their glory as well. Let me find my spot. 
For this has been delivered to me, and I'll give it to whomever I wish. When we separate ourselves out from God, and we say, I don't want you, he turns his face away and he says, fine, you'll go after whatever you want to go after then, and you'll reap the consequences. Now, Satan is saying to Jesus here, all these kingdoms of the world have been handed to me. They've been delivered to me. How? They've been delivered to him through humanity, basically not being able to understand how to manage good and evil. We can't cope with it. We don't have the capacity to manage the knowledge of good and evil. We don't get it. We cannot. The two become super blended and we don't understand our motivations, our hearts and the influences. And so greed and contempt and anger and backbiting and bitterness all creep in. And he says, all these kingdoms of the world have been handed to me through the humanity that said we no longer want Yahweh as Lord, but we'll stand on the throne ourselves. And every single time we open up an opportunity, the, James puts it as a foothold. Don't give Satan an opportunity to get a foothold in your life. Society, the world, humanity opens up opportunities again and again for Satan to get a grip, to take hold of us and our society and all that we do. You want someone else to rule instead of me, says God? Fine, but see what happens when you, want, when you get that. See what it looks like. And this isn't some sort of extrapolation of the text to look at a conservative view of life. Let's go back to the Victorian era because it was so much better and the morals were nicer. It's got nothing to do with that. The reality is that where society leads without God, we end up with devastation in the individual. It happens again and again and again, and yet we cycle around history and we don't get it. And we arrive back at the same place thinking, aha, we can create a utopia. Look at our party manifesto. We can do it. Marxism, communism, capitalism. Nothing yet has sufficed to stand in the place of Yahweh for the blessing of society, the nations, and the world. Nothing. There is someone else who seeks to rule and reign. And if it's not our corrupt self, we give it over to someone else who is also corrupted. So what do we do with this? Well, we know, don't we? You see, in John 3, a guy comes up to Jesus and he's not quite sure. He doesn't quite know whether Jesus is who he says he is or what the signs are pointing to that he's doing that indicate that he is who he says he is. So he comes to him by night. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's one of those Jesus moments, isn't it? You're like, uh, yeah, hang on, where did that come from? I'm not quite sure. He was, he was, he was just kind of 
you know, giving you all the accolades and surely, and this is great. And then you just kind of cut across it completely and you get to the heart and you go, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What? Uh, that's not where I was going. Nicodemus asks, well, how on earth can you be born again? I can't enter my mother's womb a second time. And Jesus repeats, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, one cannot enter the kingdom of God. Oh. So what you're saying is that the kingdom of God exists as a realm of the rule and reign of God and you're inviting me to come in. You're inviting me to enter into his rule and his reign. And I'm outside of that at the moment. So I get a choice. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. This stuff is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a spiritual reality to your created identity. And God is pushing in, he's breaking out amongst the people of this town, amongst this nation, across the nations, saying, will you respond to my spirit? Will you respond? Will you answer the call to come into my kingdom? Step out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the glory of my son. Will you make that transition? Will you step in? Here's a very timely verse. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. But you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't see it. It's not quite so tangible. You go, there it is. No, there it is. No, there it is. But you feel its presence and its movement and its power and its effect. So the Holy Spirit's asking, who will be the king of your life? Who will reign in your kingdom? Will it be you? Or will it be another it's interesting to my mind that this passage of interaction with Nicodemus follows straight into Jesus explaining about how he's going to bring this new kingdom in and what it's going to look like. He explains to Nicodemus, look, I've told you earthly things about wind blowing and being born of flesh and water and you don't get it. You're struggling with this concept how will you understand if I tell you heavenly things, which in a realm that you don't often understand, you can't get your head into, you don't know. And then he dives straight into the example where Moses puts a snake on a stick in the middle of the desert. And he says, Moses put a snake on a stick in the middle of the desert so that those who were bitten by the serpents, when they looked at it, they were healed and saved. Now, Nicodemus will know this story because he's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. He's a teacher of the Torah. He knows it. So Jesus makes a connection with him. You know that story. Well, that story is a, basically a metaphor for me and what I'm about to go and do. Just in the same way that when people looked in faith on the snake and they believed in the goodness of God, they were healed, so too when they look at me on a cross 
and they believe in the goodness of God, they will be saved. And they will receive the promise of God that was given to Abraham at the very beginning where only God walked through the covenant and only God made the promise and he fulfills it through the death of Christ on the cross. He pays the punishment for man's failure. And he brings us in into great intimacy with himself. And so we land at the most famous verse of all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus goes on, he says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I'm here so that the world might be saved through me. But he basically goes on to say, if you don't want me, fine. But you'll stand condemned outside of the love of God and outside of the kingdom of God if that's your choice. It's up to you. You see from Exodus 34, the people were given an opportunity. This is the goodness of God. He's forgiving, he's merciful, he's loving. His, his, his abounding love pours out over generation after generation after generation. Thousands are caught up in it. But if you hate God and you seek another ruler, and there is always another ruler, don't believe me that you are autonomous on your own and there's no external influence. If you want to go alone, then you give yourself into the kingdom of darkness where you have an inability to rule and reign in the way God wants you to. Jesus comes and he takes all our rubbish, destroys it in himself so that we can now have a relationship with the Father. And we can enter into that most holy place again. We can go where Moses went into that moment of show me your glory and we can see him. So we have a choice. Who do we want to reign? Who do we want to rule? If you haven't made that choice before today and you want to make that choice, then come and speak to me afterwards. Come and speak to Gareth, Nicola, any of these other leaders here. Come speak to us. Just pray with the person that you came with. It is such an opportunity that presents to everybody, every waking moment, every sleeping moment of the day, that today is the year of the Lord's favour. Not only does he destroy our rubbish, but he has destroyed the authority of Satan in the earth. And so now we have an opening. Now we have an opportunity where the kingdom of God is breaking out. And it breaks out through us and through the church. So what presents today is a church that either is sleeping or a church that is awake and alive to the commands of Christ and the work of his Holy Spirit in the earth. That's where we're at. So either we say, thank you, Jesus, I'll take what you've got for me, I'll just quietly walk with that and I'll be on my way. 
or we say, thank you, Jesus, what you've done absolutely revolutionizes my life. What do you want me to do now? It's the pearl of great price. You sell everything, you buy the field because you know in it is the treasure that is worth absolutely everything to you, more than you already own. And you're willing to give it all away. And so that's what he does. He offers us, what do you want to do with this? And it's individual. My life's going to look different from your life. Your life's going to look different from the person next to you. Jesus interacts with people on a one-to-one basis. To one, he says, sell all your possessions. To another, he says nothing about their wealth, but he says, no, do something else. He knows his plans and purposes for you, and they are good. The question is, how are you walking in them? What is the authority that you're growing in in Christ? What is that dynamic of the kingdom extended in you and through you that you're experiencing? We're going to look at this around Easter as we explore the gospel of the kingdom of God and what it looks like to be operating under his rule and reign and in his authority. Now we're going to have the children are going to come back in about three or four minutes and they're going to feed back what they've been hearing of God in Supergang. And it's really great that we get the opportunity for them to come do that. I'd like to use the next three minutes for us just to do a bit of business with God around his authority, his rule, and his reign in our lives. What I'd like us to do is explore this one question. And the one question is this. What have I given to you this week? It's a simple question. It might be time. It might be love. It might be adoration. It might be any number of things. But I just want you to ask God that. God, what have I given to you this week? And then I want you to to ask him, what do you want from me next week? You go ahead. Let me just break into what you're thinking or going through just as we close. One of the biggest things when I ask God that question that I keep getting back is time. Just continually sort of revolves around. So what can I give you next week? It just says, give me time. Give me time to sit with me, to listen to me. Not to act every time, 
to be with me. And from that comes moments of instruction. Ah, okay, I think I hear what you're saying to me. I had a picture a while ago where I was running through a city that was completely dark and it was dank and it was almost pitch black, but I had a torch, like an old flaming torch, yeah? But because I was running, the torch wasn't that bright. And I was running through the streets and this torch, was, it was lit, but it wasn't that bright. And I felt the Lord say to me, slow down. I'm like, oh, okay, but it's not that nice around here. I don't really want to slow down. Slow down. And I slowed down. And you know what happens when you slow down with a lit torch? It burns brighter. And suddenly I started to see what was around me. I started to see the degradation and the poverty and the sadness and the brokenness and the disgusting nature of the walls that were just dripping, that were horrible. And people started coming out of the buildings to the light. What's this? What's going on? What's going on? I don't understand. What's going on? And God is saying, I want you to slow down. And I want you to let your light shine in the darkness. I want the kingdom of God to come through you, where you are. Let your light shine. Slow it down. Be prepared because I'm moving.